Dottie. Who's the new girl? Hmm? Her? Oh, that's Zephyr. Oh, she's been here for years. But she normally works the swing shift. She's just covering for Sam today. She's real pretty. Careful there. Pretty she might be. But that one will bite your arm off if you press her when she don't want the attention. She really is pretty. Something strange about it, though. She's too pretty. Her features look sculpted, her skin is perfect, her hair is thick and healthy, and her body... Watch it there. I'm just saying, she looks like a goddess in an apron. That's why I thought she was new. She doesn't look like she belongs here. Well, that's mighty judgmental. No one looks like they belong at Luz. This is a place for travelers. And that's what Zephyr is. She belongs here as much as anyone. But her home is so far away, she'll never see it again. Not in our lifetime, anyway. That's why I told her she could kick it here until she finds what she's looking for. And she's a good worker for a lost little time traveler. That's right. She's not from now. She's from the future. Zephyr is from the year 2845. No fooling. She told me, in the future, the world's fucked. Greed and power and all that bullshit that got us here continues, but worse. The world's a shithole, where mostly everyone dies. But luckily, in a few places, life persists and rebuilds. She's from one of those places, a city called Omega. Future humans haven't evolved too much. Instead, we've used science to improve ourselves. <laughs> Some of the things she describes don't make sense. Stuff that seems out of a superhero story. What I mean to say is people, the way they are, no matter how different they look, stay the same. Zephyr was born into class, in the upper city, a city called Alpha. It was a magical place of futuristic transhumanist-like people. What's that? Kind of like Star Trek. Okay. Very modern. Very advanced. And run by an all-powerful artificial intelligence. But a benevolent one, I guess. Zeph's parents were set up. They had it all. She was planned, wanted, and loved. Her parents had used all science had learned and made a baby that was better than them in every way. When she was four, they put these little robot bugs into her brain. What? And I know what you're thinking, but they must have been real small. Like small enough to go in with the blood and work on a microscopic level. See... The bugs were a kind of technology that multiplied and spread out throughout her entire brain, working their way into every synapse over the course of her young life, the purpose of which would be to connect with each other and speed up communication in the brain. But why? To make her smarter, or at least speed up her ability to think and store information with near-perfect recollection. That's why she never gets an order wrong. She tells me... By the time she was six, 
She was smarter than her parents, and had learned every language that exists, and several new machine code languages invented by the AI. She went to school when she was eight, and learned everything her heart desired, the total sum of human thought, the complete recorded history of everything we were, and everything we had ever learned, was hers to understand. She became fascinated, learning all she could, spending eight more years in school, longer than most. But she was obsessed. She wanted to understand it all. And she tells me she was looking for something, a doorway that would tell her what it all meant. But before she found what she was looking for, she was asked by her family and society to begin applying her knowledge to a career, a task, some great deed to help humanity. She was one of only a few that were given the brain bugs and expectations were high. But it wasn't just the pressure, it was the other stuff. You remember what I said about people not changing? And you recall how the bugs were also meant to give her better memory and recollection? Well, one of the heartbreaking things about that kind of improvement is how much more you see and remember. She had seen how those less fortunate than her were ignored and left behind. She had seen the disassociation and lack of concern for others without enhancement. School had taught her if you couldn't keep up, you were burned out. She lost friends people whose advancements didn't work out the way they were supposed to. And when those folks needed care and help, she had seen the lack of responsibility for them. Some were so broken, they were sent to live in Omega. You see, influential citizens feared these children's psychological damage would affect Alpha City society if they were allowed to remain. But it was bullshit. Folks just didn't want to take responsibility for their fuck-ups, like usual. Zephyr knew the people who wanted her skills wanted to use them for personal gain. It wasn't supposed to be like that. The school was supposed to encourage difference and individuality. Instead, it became another way to control others and allow success to those willing to play along. She saw that and couldn't, so she left. Her parents wanted her to stay with them and apply her skills to anything she desired. They wanted her to be happy, but she knew she wouldn't find what she was looking for if she stayed with them. She had no plan, no idea what was going to happen next, when nefarious parties aligned to see she was deemed an experiment gone wrong. Unsafe to stay in proper society, like the others before her. They sent her to live in the Undercity. They sent her to Omega. There, she found a new life. She connected up with some friends, other rejects from Alpha, and got a job working for the local crime syndicate. Which isn't as bad as it sounds. They were just the underdogs. Omega City is, will be run by a family of founders and their board of directors. 
And the poor folks, well, they'll be run by the syndicate. Omega City didn't have the kind of tech upstairs did. Everything down there was strapped together out of whatever folks could get their hands on over the years. But she was pretty much a human computer, so work was easy to come by. But my stars, it was different from her life before. Everything was vividly alive and rebelling against something in Omega City. People were eking out existence in ways she never thought possible. In one place, you could see immense poverty and brutality alongside opulence and magical futuristic entertainment. This was the place they had sent every reject. Here is where they learned to survive. This was the last place they could find solace and the prison that detained them. They were living out whatever life they could in dark corridors underneath a city of dreams. Why did no one leave Omega City? Life was so hard there. Zephyr says outside was an endless forest infested with stranger forms of life than I can reckon. Monsters that are more likely to eat you before you even see him coming. And beyond that, the waste. Hundreds of miles of dead earth and desert. She tells me no one ever came back from outside the city. But for Zephyr, this city was where she was meant to be. She loved Omega City, the way it fed off itself the truth it lived. The place she came from was so uniform. Everything was anticipated, planned for. Every person had a purpose, a goal. Hell, most of them were designed by the very best science had to offer. But man, were they boring. They all consumed the same media. They had the same chances, same education, the same everything. Here in the city, it was chaos. Violent, colorful chaos. Here was music. Here was life like she had never known it. And she thought, surely she would find what she was looking for. She started looking in the dark corners and low places of Omega City nightlife. She went where the artists, musicians, and creators of tech magic lurked. These weren't bars, really. More like tea rooms, where people got high all day and night, entertained by small performances and passing soundsite experiences created just for that moment. It was like walking into living art. This was a collective of beings whose purpose had become to live life in color, while being as high as physically possible. Zephyr tells me the music there spoke to her soul. Like she could see all the colors that weren't there before. I think it was something to do with sound frequencies that allow you to see in ultraviolet. But with all this discovery and magic happening in the air, she felt closer to her answers than ever before. She felt like she was onto something big. She just had to find the door which she told me she did find in a drug called Melt. Melt was new, came down from on high, smuggled out of Alpha City research centers. 
a secret techno drug that wasn't finished. It wasn't safe. They'd made it to heighten awareness to levels one could potentially perceive alternate realities. I call bullshit. No science can lead to the discovery of alternate realities, let alone seeing them. You might be right. But we sure do put a lot of it in our science fiction, don't we? Kinda makes you wonder if given a few hundred more years, if this fascination might lead us to look for more answers. Now, if I may continue with your disbelief in hand. Right. They were trying to prove this reality isn't the only one. Every person that tested Melt would pass out and wake up days later reporting they had visited with all-knowing creatures and gods. But no real evidence or applicable knowledge was ever gained. The subjects did say it felt really good. Kind of like riding the best orgasm you've ever had into a dreamlike state full of love and understanding. More testing was needed, but before that could happen, someone saw its usefulness in other ways and stole the blueprints, selling them to the Omega Syndicate. People loved it as a drug. It fucked you up good and seemed to have no long-term damage. Melt was just gaining popularity when Zeph was looking for her answers. She tells me it was her third time ever going to the tea room when she first took Melt. She'd done unregistered drugs many times and wasn't worried when her friend squirted a dropper full under her tongue. It tasted like sweet buttermilk pancakes melting in her mouth. The reaction to Melt was different for Zephyr. People like her had never taken the drug before, which was enhanced on account of the bugs crawling around in her gray matter. She could think fast enough to stay conscious longer and communicate what she saw, what she learned. Zephyr tells me, as she laid sprawled out on one of the many piles of soft pillows in the club, surrounded by a colorful landscape of sounds, she also spoke to gods, or at least beings of enormous understanding. They told her secrets about the universe, predictions, Equations that could lead to great power, locations of strong magical elements, and doorways to other worlds, other realities. I see you shaking your head there. I know, that's what I thought too. But to those around her listening, it wasn't bullshit. It was truth. To them, she was spelling out the greatest mysteries of existence. And they were a bunch of beatnik poets musicians, and drug addicts. The natural inevitability of that being they ended up in kind of a cult, but more of a band, one she became the lead singer of. They called themselves Key. Her friends used the equations to make music and wrote songs inspired by what she spoke of, which she would sing in a dreamlike state. High on melt, she'd drift into epic three-day-long performances to small crowds at the tea room, at least at first. Zephyr thinks the music was the message and Melt was the carrier, and she was the only one able to tune in. But when she did, something about it drew people to her. The sound connected with something deep in them, and the words promised them there is more, 
more than what we see here and now. It spoke of all the things we've yet to discover and understand. It wasn't long before word got out about Key, and soon people came from every walk of life to see her perform. Funny thing is, if it had been scientists to record it all and understand, humanity might have entered a new stage of transdimensional existence, and there might have finally been proof other realities than ours exist. Instead, it became the next musical movement of her era, and she became a star. Wait, are you telling me she's a transdimensional, time-traveling pop star? Well, yes. I guess that is what I'm telling you. Dottie, I think you better get me some more coffee. This is getting hard to swallow. Sure thing, darling. But you don't gotta believe me. You can ask her yourself. Hey, Zeph! <laughs> no, no, pl please don't. That, that's okay. I, I don't want to bother her. And anyway, you've yet to tell me how she got here. Where does time travel work into all this? I was just getting to it. Hold your horses. Zephyr and Key were going places. Her message was being played on the local stations, and she was finally onto something big. Something that had changed the world. But she needed the drug to do it. And as it got out there, more folks wanted it too. The demand was higher than the supply, and her career and purpose had become interlinked with this demand. She needed the drug to keep going. So, she's a junkie too? Hey, that's unfair. Who are you to judge what a person does to feel their very best selves, so long as it's not hurting anyone? And for all you know, what she was doing could have changed the world. Important portents were getting to the masses. Even if it was not derived through scientific testing, something might have changed if it weren't for what happened next. What happened next? She got some bad stuff. Melt. The demand for the drug had forced some of the suppliers to outsource the production. Something went wrong, and she got a bad batch. It was just before she was about to give the biggest performance of her life. It would have been broadcast across the planet to anyone who was still listening. Her parents had even come down from Alpha City to see her sing for an audience of thousands. This was it. The moment she'd been waiting for. With this performance, they would all understand, like she did. She was going to bring everyone up. She was going to set them free. But... The moment she took the drug, she knew something was wrong. She didn't feel right. Her heart began racing as she stepped out onto the stage, but her mind slowed down. The world started to melt away around her, instead of her melting into it and becoming one with the universe. The world seemed to peel back, and she was left standing there, alone, in absolute darkness and quiet. She thinks she was pulled out of reality, like out of all reality, to a place without life, without thought, without time itself. She told me she wandered for hours, days, 
maybe even years, in this darkness, looking for a way out, and then eventually, anything at all. Eventually, the blackness blurred at the edges and became gray, and then blue. She woke up on her back in a field of grain, but in this time. She had no idea how she got here, but she thinks it had to have been the drugs. Ow. Well, I don't know. I'm not a time scientist, and neither is she. She figures the drugs bring your mind to an alternate reality, and that maybe the bad stuff sent her here instead of there. She thinks her body, her real body, must be back in her time, comatose, and that the bugs somehow saved her mind from frying, but got damaged in the process, no longer having the cognitive ability to navigate her mind back to her body, trapping her here. Zeph thinks she might not really be here at all, and that her brain might just be manifesting this reality. Really? Basically, this might all be a dream, and someday she'll wake up back there. Either way, she says, she knows the bugs must have been damaged, because now she can only think four times as fast as me. Cheeky little bitch. So what's she doing here? Serving lunch. What's it look like? No, I mean, why here? Why lose? Shouldn't she be trying to go back home or working for some big corporation bringing in millions? Singing. Surely with looks like that and some talent, she could pick up an agent and get it going here, too. <sighs> I met Zephyr four years ago. She was on the run and came through here as most folks do when they're trying to get away from something. She came in at about 5, just after my evening shift started, and was there until I left at 6 a.m. She sat quietly, drinking water and black coffee, while typing away on a busted old laptop for hours. She didn't want food, and seemed to be writing like she feared she'd not have enough time to get it all out. She didn't want to be bothered, so I let her be. To my surprise, she was there again the next day, looking even more haggard and awestruck than before. But she wasn't writing anymore, her task complete. She was just staring out across the parking lot with a dull look in her eyes. I'd see her tense every time a car would appear on the horizon and pull into our lot, inching low as the people came inside and only seeming relieved by unfamiliarity. I could tell she was waiting for someone she didn't really want to see. After a while, I approached her and asked who she was waiting for. I don't know if it was my non-judgmental features or her having given up, but she told me everything. And as it turns out, the people she was surreptitiously waiting for were coming to kill her. Time Cops People from the future who needed to make sure she wasn't going to fuck up the timeline by trying to get back to hers. The thing she was furiously writing was her story, and everything she could remember about what the interdimensional beings told her. She didn't want all she had learned to mean nothing, 
She knew it could be a thousand years before humans could connect again with greater realities outside themselves. And she couldn't just let her legend fade away. All this knowledge for nothing. So she wrote it all down and posted it to some online forums, hoping someday it'd reach someone. She'd been running from them for so long. She was tired. She'd accepted this wasn't going to end until she was dead. Now I know what you're thinking. After she told me her story, I didn't really believe her either. I mean, she looked pretty strung out, and I don't think she'd eaten in days. So I convinced her to try some buttermilk pancakes and went off to the kitchen to get her around. When I came back, there were people in dark suits sitting with her. Their heated conversation quieted as I approached the table. They observed me coldly as I placed the pancakes down and offered them some coffee. I asked them if they'd be eating and they said no. Zephyr looked at me with such sadness. So I said, Well, you can't let the lady eat alone, can you? And Skinny over here looks like they could use some eggs and bacon. Finally, they both agreed, if only to get me to leave them alone. Zephyr, she looked, she looked defeated. This poor girl was going to die, and all I could do was top up her coffee and slow them down a bit. Well, you know me. I can't let some jerks from the future decide who lives and dies at Lou's. This is a safe place, a place for travelers, a place you can stop worrying about the world for a moment or two and get the best cup of coffee this side of Texas. So I decided to help her. I brought them their eggs laced with turpentine and a few other near deadly chemicals we got for cleaning the industrial ovens out back. I knew it wouldn't kill them, but it'd slow them down and get them into a state they might be more willing to negotiate in. Within a few minutes of them finishing, one was running to the bathroom and the other outside to lose their lunch. When they returned, barely walking and bleeding from their eyes, I was sitting in the booth, next to Zephyr, hands laced in front of me. I said, Gentle folks, I'm going to kill you, or at least... What I put in your food will, if you don't do exactly what I say. They both reached for a weapon that was no longer there. Or at least couldn't be found with all the shaking their hands were doing. Sit down. Good. Now, I need a new waitress, and Zephyr has graciously accepted my offer of work. You can't take her, because then you'd be taking a valued employee from me, and you wouldn't want to do that. Now would you? They just gurgled and gasped for air. I know you'd answer in the affirmative if it weren't for all the foaming your mouths are doing currently, so just go on and nod your head if you agree to my terms. They did. I told Zephyr she could stay with us here at Luz. There's a bunk in the back and she could work for room and board, plus a little extra for her heart's desires. And she's been working here ever since. She's a damn fine waitress, too. And what happened to the folks that were after her? You know, 
I'm not sure. They headed out shortly after. You'll have to ask Zephyr if you want the rest of that story. More coffee, hun? Hey, Zeph. Hey, Zephyr. This feller's been asking about you. 